Schooled by Gordon Corman. Chapter 17. Name, Mrs. Donnelly. I left four messages for Frank Kaziki before he finally called me back. He was apologetic. Sorry, Flora, you know I am chairing the principal's conference this year, and it's just details, details, details. Sorry to bother you when you're so busy. I thought I'd better check up on Cap Anderson. Has he been fitting in any better? Fitting into what? he asked. The age of Aquarius? I felt my heart sink. That bad, huh? Actually, not really. I had the boy pegged as a train wreck, but considering how odd he is and how sheltered his life has been, things could be a lot worse. He has friends? I asked hopefully. Not friends, exactly. More like followers. Followers? Ever since that stunt with the school bus, the kids just flocked to him. He put together a tie-dyeing clinic with an art teacher. You wouldn't believe the turnout. It was, he chuckled. What did they call big events back in the 60s? A happening? I supplied automatically. Right, and that's the least of it. He picks up a guitar in the music room and strums a few old Beatles tunes, and pretty soon he's got 20 people in there singing along. He's running some kind of martial arts class on the front lawn. He's got more kids working on the Halloween dance that'll probably come that night. He's even got a few mediators. If I didn't know the kid's history, I'd probably have the police making sure he wasn't setting up a cult. It triggered an explosion of images from my own childhood at Garland. Cult was exactly the word for it, with Rain as its philosopher guru. Still, the news made me breathe easier. That's a load off my mind. When I found out they made him eighth grade president, well, Sophie filled me in on what that might mean. I've heard those rumors too, he admitted. It certainly hasn't gone smoothly for the last few in that office, but we don't want to be the only middle school in America with no student government. So we threw the dice and this time we lucked out. Thank heaven. But maybe I should have realized that Cap was holding his own in his new life. He was still a fish out of water, but he didn't seem to be quite so thrown by every little thing as he had been when I first brought him home. One major clue was the fact that he was taking a genuine interest in that school. As a social worker, I kept current yearbooks from all the buildings in my district. Not only was Cap borrowing the Claverage books, but he was spending hours studying them. Imagine a boy who had never had even a single classmate now wanting to know about more than a thousand of them. I found it heartwarming. Things were even thawing slightly between Cap and my daughter. Mind you, that had more to do with a change in Sophie than a change in Cap. She was in a better state of mind because her father had finally remembered to send her back her extremely belated birthday present, duly engraved. Truth be told, I'd never expected to see it again, and I don't think Sophie had either. So imagine my surprise when she opened a padded mailer with no return address and pulled out that silver bangle. There was no card, not even a scribbled note. The only thing that spoke for this gift was the engraving on the inside of it. All you need is love. To be honest, the inscription threw me a little. It certainly didn't sound like the Bill Donnelly I used to be married to. His idea of sentimentality was the presentation of the Lombardi Trophy at the end of the Super Bowl. But I guess he could still surprise me. He certainly got this one right. Sophie was thrilled. It almost made up for the fact that he had walked out of her life yet again. Even with the new, kinder, gentler Sophie, Cap was still a whole lot nicer to her than she was to him. He probably had a crush on her. An attractive high school girl had to look good to an eighth grader, especially one who had barely laid eyes on a female who wasn't his grandmother. I couldn't prove that, of course, but one day I came home from work and the two of them were on the couch in front of trigonometry and tears, that awful teen soap opera geared to the interest level of chimpanzees and various species of plant life. A steamy makeout scene was taking place on the screen. Sophie was watching it intently, 
and more to the point, Cap was watching Sophie. He was a difficult one to read, but I believed he was trying to work up the guts to lean over and put his arm around her. So I slammed my briefcase down on the kitchen counter and said the first thing I could think of. Who's up for a nice tall glass of lemonade? Mother, Sophie exclaimed in exasperation. What century is this? I told myself I was protecting my daughter, but the truth is I was protecting Cap from what Sophie would have done to him if he'd made a move on her. The pain of my own adjustment from Garland was decades in the past, but it felt like yesterday when I watched this poor boy. I took Frank Kaziggy at his word when he said Cap was doing well, but I knew I wouldn't sleep at night until he was once again with Rain, hobbling back toward the 60s as fast as her pinned hip would carry both of them. Chapter 18. Name, Hugh Winkleman. I was the first dropout from Cap's morning Tai Chi group, literally. Not that I have ever been the star of the class. Two left feet weren't exactly an asset in martial arts, but I was Cap's friend as much as was possible to get close to someone like him. I wore my tie-dyes proudly, securing the knowledge that I had more right than anybody. After all, who hung out with Cap before he ever drove a bus or masterminded a dance? So there I was, waving my arms and hopping around like a turkey amped up on Mountain Dew when the planted foot was kicked out from under me. It was so sudden, so devastating, that to this day I have no idea who did it to me. Daryl Pennyfield is my prime suspect because he was close by, but I didn't catch him in the act. One minute I was upright, the next I was on the grass, rolling. To the other kids in the group, it must have looked like I just vanished into thin air. Were my deepest, darkest fears coming true? This was a great school year because Cap was taking the heat off me. But he wasn't a target anymore. Target, heck, he was practically a celebrity. It was the bus driving thing that started it. When your whole world is a cheesy prepackaged rehearsal for being alive like middle school, a kid your own age who can pilot a 20-ton bus is impressive. Plus the fact that he saves somebody's life, obviously. Now people were treating the eighth grade president well, like, well, like an eighth grade president someone who was admired and popular, a student leader who took an active role in the school. And that was great for Cap, but what did it mean for me? Was I back in the crosshairs because he was out of them? Only time would tell. Of all the newly minted Cap fans, the biggest surprise had to be Naomi Erlinger. She was with that whole Zach Powers crew, and not as a hanger-on either. She was part of the inner circle, Lena's best friend. That was royalty around here. Needless to say, I didn't know her well. Steering clear of that crowd was a good way to avoid being dangled by my ankles over a toilet bowl. But I'd heard that she had a big crush on Zack. And let's face it, if the rumor had made it down to my lowly rung on the ladder, you had to figure it was all over the school. So what was her sudden fascination with Cap? She was star pupil of his Tai Chi group. She was constantly turning up into the locker to show him a new peace sign bracelet she brought or a magazine article on Vietnam, or the Beatles, or anything about the 60s. Come to think of it, hers had been the first face at the door after the PA announcement on tie-dyeing day. The 8th grade wing was on the opposite end of the building from the art room. She must have sprinted the entire distance. Of course, she was still one of the beautiful people, so when I spotted her, flanked by Lena and Daryl coming our way in the hall, I was on my guard. Hi, Cap, Naomi greeted us. Another thing about Naomi, I was invisible to her. Either that, or I was like Cap's pet ferret, a subhuman companion, undeserving of attention. We're walking in the March of Carrion this weekend, and we need sponsors. Daryl looked me up and down, a threatening expression on his face. It's for a really good cause. I pulled a pair of crumpled dollar bills from my pocket. 
made no difference to me if the money was going to support throwing puppies off 30-store office towers. This wasn't a charitable donation. I was purchasing wedgie insurance, and Daryl was Allstate. Sorry, it can't be more. With a grunt of acknowledgement, Daryl snatched the money out of my hand and passed it on to Lena. Naomi's worshipful eyes never left the eighth-grade president. What do you say, Cap? He took out the checkbook and began writing on it. I frowned. Isn't that the school's money? Mr. Kaziki said, spend it responsibly. What could be more responsible than giving to charity? Paying for the dance, I replied. That's what it's supposed to be for. He was serene. I've been inside that bank, Hugh. They've got plenty of money for everything. He tore off the check and handed it to Naomi. She took one look at it and let out a shriek that raised the roof clean off the school. Lena gawked over her shoulder. A thousand dollars? What? I wailed on Cap. Are you nuts? You can't give away that much. Rain says there should be no limit on giving, he lectured serenely, only taking. She's not the one Mr. Kaziggy's going to strangle. But my words were lost in the excited buzz as students flocked around to investigate the source of Naomi's scream. Lena took the check from her and held it up for the crowd. There were oohs and ahs. You're awesome, Cap, Naomi cried emotionally. Awesome! Daryl nodded fervently. You're the man! Suddenly, everybody was clapping and cheering. I was blown away. Not one of those idiots had the faintest idea that Cap's donation came straight out of the budget for the Halloween dance. I wanted to scream, Look at the check! The school's name is printed right on it! This money is yours, mine, all of ours! That was when I experienced a moment of stunning understanding. Popularity had nothing to do with the truth. If these kids took a minute to ask themselves where Cap got off writing $1,000 checks, they'd be rioting, not applauding. But what really mattered was image. The 8th grade president was a star now. Nobody questioned it when he did something wonderful, because that's exactly what was expected of him. All the adulation must have been overwhelming to someone like Cap, who was so accustomed to peace and quiet. He pushed his way through a barrage of high fives and ducked into the bathroom. I followed him, struggling with my own feelings about this. I wanted to be happy for the guy, but why? Because he did something stupid? His entire rise to fame seemed bizarre, random, dumb. Must be nice, was all I could think to mutter. It is nice, he agreed in wonder. I couldn't have imagined how good it feels when so many people like you. I recoiled as if he'd slapped me. Being liked was a feeling I didn't know that I might never know, and to have that rubbed in my face by one kindred spirit, the only person around who was more of an outsider than I was, it was the ultimate insult. I didn't care if he grew up on Pluto, let alone some hippie commune, to say that to me, someone who'd never experienced a popular minute, much less a popular day, was beyond cruel. Nothing could have made me feel worse than I did at that instant. The door was flung mightily open, and into the boys' room burst Naomi, her face pink with daring. She threw her arms around Cap and pressed a long kiss right on his mouth. Cap was so shocked that he crumpled against the stall door when she let go. To be continued, she said meaningful, and ran out of the bathroom. I glowered at him through through eyes that were barely slits. Hero's status wasn't good enough for him anymore. He had to be a heartthrob, too. I was finished with Capricorn Anderson.